welcome to yet another action-packed, exciting episode of the Trade Geek Podcast, uh, brought to you by the World Trade Centers and our good friends at Cap Logistics. I, um, all I really do to get people on this podcast is I call friends of mine and I, I, uh, I intimate that if they don't do it, I will tell incredibly embarrassing stories about them. And lo and behold, people just turn up. Yeah. So yeah, it's true. It's very true. So I was talking to um, a mutual friend of ours today who shall remain, remain nameless. And I said, yeah, I'm, I've got Abby coming on today. Abby Freeman's coming on today. And uh, I said, she's like my only friend. It's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, she's the only person in my life that likes the same crap that I like. And, uh, you know, we, we could talk about old school hip hop today. Oh, yep. please. Yeah, we have a lot of fun. And uh, she's the only person who doesn't ask me stupid questions endlessly for money. So, um, uh, you know, you were a client, but contractually you can't be for another 10 months or no, eight months until I'm done with my non-compete. But you know what I'm saying? Yes, of and, course. Um, I never tire of talking to you, Abby, because yeah. you make me laugh. So everybody, Abby Freeman is with us today. Uh, or do you go like Contino now? How does it... Abby Freeman is good. Abby Freeman is good. Okay, whatever. So Abby is with us today. And um, I met Abby uh, through client work, but she is just as much friend, if not more so. You have a very bizarre job. So... Is it bizarre? I Okay, I'll okay, buy okay. it. I'll buy it. <laughs> you explain what you do, and then I will point out why it's bizarre. Go ahead. Have fun with it. What do you do, okay. Abby? Okay, presently, um, I do international business development and global strategic planning for a defense contractor in the aerospace world. Um, I work right now mostly in the Indo-Pacific region, Indo-PACOM, AOR, uh, selling ISR, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance-related equipment, modified aircraft, um, as well as some, some light attack aircraft other other military goods and, and services. So can we just, uh, uh, so you're telling me that that's not interesting that you basically sell spy aircraft and- and, uh, and You said uh, bizarre, you said bizarre. I don't think that's- How bizarre. many people do what you do, so, Abby? I don't know, we don't all talk I, about I, it, so. I understand that. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a well-traveled person. I have a lot of friends. I can count on one hand how many people I know that do what you do. And I know. Okay. okay. So that's, that's pretty weird, Abby. It's remarkable. Okay. It's a remarkable job. Now be, above and beyond all of that, you also have a rather uh, storied past regarding trade compliance. Yeah. So why don't you talk a bit about how you stumbled your way into a job selling spy aircraft? Cause you know, whatever. Sure. sure. Um, and I think when it comes to, when it comes to trade, I think most of us have stumbled is the right word. <laughs> Tripped and fallen, maybe made some mistakes. And, <laughs> Kicked and, out a flight of stairs into. Yeah, yeah and, and fallen, fallen head first into this stuff. But um, I, I started my career with the U.S. Department of Commerce. I worked at the uh, U.S. Commercial Service um, across a couple of their export assistance centers, helping small and medium-sized businesses get their products uh, exported where they needed to go, doing market research and helping helping open doors for them um, through the U.S. Embassy Network, getting things out out in the world for those kinds of clients. And um, loved my job. It was a really exciting, you know, first entry into the international world of trade. Uh, and I actually did intend to get in some level of international trade, but I didn't really know at that time what that meant. What um, a lie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what I found was that as much as I loved my job, I was really sad at the end of the day when my client, when my client went off and exported their products okay. and I wasn't there to see it and be Got part it. of it and pop the champagne with them, um, in some, you know, strange third world country or, you know, wherever they might be operating that day. Uh, I felt like I was missing out on that end game. And so from there, I left, uh, left the U.S. government and I worked for a couple of um, different commercial companies, ended up falling into trade and aerospace um, and mostly aerospace and defense a couple of years later and worked in uh, what 
what we find most of our, ourselves in when it comes, I guess, in today's day and age and in international trade is how do we do this without going to jail? Yes. Um, <laughs> Preferably. And, that would be that would be best case. Right. Nobody goes so, to prison, Abby. Yeah. <laughs> so day one uh, in, yeah. in one of my aerospace gigs, my, my boss came in and dropped an ITAR on my desk and, and just said, read it, know it, teach us all. Um, and walked away for like six days. And so I, I read it and um, digested it. And as, as nerdy as it sounds, and I think you can respect this, I kind of fell in love with the, with the law and specifically yep. international trade law um, and found myself really taking, um, taking that as, as a pretty major career move to jump into the compliance side of international trade and found, found a solid niche there. Um, and stayed in there, uh, for the better part of, well, a little over a decade, um, working in international trade laws and regulations, um, almost went to law school. I I had my schedule, I had my class load, um, and I was ready to go to, to start law school because I thought, you know, I'm working in the regulations every day. I should probably go get a law degree and went through the LSAT and that whole process and enrolled. And day one, I looked at my schedule and I said, I'm going to hate that class. I'm going to hate that class. I'm really going to hate that class. And I bailed and I said, no, this is, this is not for me. I want to be on the, the business forward end of international trade, not the restrictive end. And that didn't drive me away from trade compliance, surprisingly. It it just meant that um, I kind of built my career around navigating the regulations effectively to to build good business and to keep keep our international business and our international relations moving forward for the companies that I worked with. Really enjoyed that. And one day in my, in my current company, um, one of our, our business development leaders came over and said, Hey, I I want you to come work for me in international business. And I kind of looked around like, see, you know, is he talking, is he talking to me? I'm the, I'm the trade compliance girl. Um, and he was, he was talking to me and I kind of did some self-reflection there and I, and I had a chat with him and had a chat with some of my colleagues, including yourself, Pete Mento. <laughs> and what I, what I quickly found with some, some self-reflection was that while I, I navigate the regulations really well, I also like to run my mouth and <laughs> the opportunity to blend those two things together um, and and do a bit more business forward thinking and strategic thinking on the trade side, as opposed to uh, strictly trade compliance was really exciting to me. And I love my trade compliance uh, nerddom in that world. And I love my trade compliance team, my crew. Um, but this is a, this is a step that I took that was, that was, I think the right one for me that allowed me to kind of branch out into being that customer focused, um, you know, really, interface to our international customers that I wanted to be. So here I am slinging airplanes. Yeah, Slinging (laughs) airplanes around the world. I'm going to say three things. First of all, if you became a trade attorney, you could not be my bestie. If you become an attorney, we couldn't be cool anymore. Then that's out. That's out. out. We would not have been very good friends. Number two, one of my favorite ITAR stories ever is uh, my friend, Jeff Simpson, who went to Maine Maritime Academy with me. We call him Homer. Homer had gotten into a tiff with some of his sales weasels and he, um, <laughs> he walked in to a sales meeting with a copy of the ITAR. Okay. Okay. So, and you, you and I both know ITAR is not like, it's not a 500 page book. I mean, it's a relatively no, small document, pretty short. It's pretty but short. you have to know it inside and out. You do. So Homer walked in there and he said, um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you guys one more training. I'm going to give you all one more warning to stop making my life hell. Cause the next time you're going to learn the ITAR through osmosis. Cause I'm going to hit you in the head with this book until the knowledge of it seeps into your tiny little brains. Yeah. That's a, that's a speech. I think I, I could have written as well. Yeah, yeah. I think all of us in that world really wanted to, to give some people some big, some, some book learning with, with the ITAR. Especially. Tactically. Yeah. 
And then lastly, um, I don't think that you, you've, um, I think you buried the lead with regards to your team. You've got some pretty heavy hitters, some real slingers over there. Some people really, they're, know the, they're the best of the best. Yeah. They're the best it's of the like, best. It's like ninjas. They're like the Navy seals of trade compliance over there. They are, as, as Pete Munto says, the weaponized nerds. Weaponized nerds of Sierra Nevada Corporation. That's yeah, right. Wonderful. I love them all. I can't wait till I can talk to them again and not get sued. Oh, that's a whole other podcast that we'll do in eight months. Anyway. Bring uh, your lawyers, bring your friends. Yeah, nerd alert. So <laughs> um, just before we get into the other stuff, you have, you have two little kids that are adorable. I do. You you have a husband who you still will not tell me what he does for a living. So whenever anybody asks me, I just say that he's a contract killer. And you live in Colorado. Correct. So I think what everybody wants to know is, are you high right now? Man, no, unfortunately. Those of us in the federal contracting world have to have to just say no. But yeah, the, living in Colorado, I think it's calmed down a little bit now that a few other states have come online. But um, yeah, it's been a big topic of, of the the world here in Colorado for a couple of years. You poor thing. Yeah. yeah. Good for home prices. It's been great for home prices. I like to hope uh, optimistically that the, the housing hike is not strictly tied to the weed, but you know, I'm sure it has something to do with the attraction, at least in the beginning. A girl can dream. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, something no one ever talks enough about, and it, it doesn't, people are very good at import compliance. There's a lot of them because a lot of what people do in import compliance gets you a check back. It's duty drawback yeah. and all that madness. So people in our business sort of get, they get pushed towards that side of what we do because they're hoping somewhere down the line they can bring value to the company they work for by giving them some money. Yeah. Export compliance, it's not like that. You know, export compliance tends to be a heavily regulated environment for companies that make a mistake once and then they never, they never make a mistake again. Yeah. So why did you end up being an export nerd? How did that happen? <laughs> primarily, well, you're both sides of the fence, but you are primarily an export nerd. I am primarily an export nerd, and I think there are typically two teams. You're either import or you're export. There are very few people that cross over, despite the fact that we can be friends. Um, <laughs> I, I think I became an export nerd mostly because it was a time in the industry, in aerospace and defense, where people were just starting to get fined a lot of money. Mm. Uh, for export violations, there were a lot of, you know, big fines and penalties, people going to jail, stuff like that in the news that was very noteworthy. And so companies were starting to pay attention to the export side as well. It wasn't so much a matter of, you know, on the import side, we can, we can save some money. It's a matter of, we can avoid going to, to prison <laughs> and we can avoid, you know, huge multi-million dollar sometimes hundreds of million dollars in fines and penalties. And so it was, um, it was kind of the beginning of, uh, or during the beginning of um, a pretty major um, increase in awareness in trade regulations, export regulations in particular. Um, and, and that was my kind of my first out of the gate. I sort of fell into exports before I touched imports um, because of that risk aversion that especially aerospace and defense companies have related to their sensitivity of their products and what's, um, what's at risk if they don't follow those regulations. Uh, but that said, the, the regs were changing every single day based on the technologies that were changing every single day. And, you know, as you know, over the last 15 years or so, the technological advancements that have occurred, nobody's been able to keep up with. Certainly not our regulators in the U.S. government um, who move at the pace of the U.S. government. Mm. So um, I found that I could have a, have a pretty solid impact pretty immediately by diving into those regs and not just looking at them from the perspective of the black and white and here's what we have to do to comply. Here's how we avoid going to jail. I'm the, you know, I'm the no guy, 
you ask me if I, if you can export something, I'm going to say, no, I'm going to say no here. I'm going to say no there. I'm going to say, you know, maybe over here instead of that approach. I, I kind of found over, over the years, um, that taking the approach of, I'm going to find a solution. I'm going to find the solution that best benefits the company and that, that navigates these regulations instead of following the regulations, navigating the regulations in a way that benefits the company, um, to me was, I think, refreshing to a lot of companies who had been stuck with a no man for a long time, um, who, who had, you know, the trade compliance geek in the corner who knew those regulations inside and out, but took great pride in, in telling the company, no, you can't do that. And so I think I found that, that the companies that I worked for were excited by someone that could take those regulations, make sure that you didn't violate anything, but also use them to your advantage and, and use them as really a competitive advantage as well compared to their, um, compared to their competition that might just look at them at face value and say, Oh, can't do that. We would find a way to do it within the structure of the regulations better than other companies could do it. And that to me was super exciting. Um, we could actually benefit the bottom line in a positive way instead of in a negative way and saying, no, these markets are all off limits to you. We could, we could find, um, find ways to, to do business um, better than others could and more strategically than others could. Well, you're, it's a very precise business too. You know, the export compliance side of things, the import side, it, I'm not going to say that it's sloppy. That's not fair. I think that there's a lot more latitude to make mistakes there and is. to be able to recover from those mistakes as opposed to exports. When if you step in it with exports, you're in a lot of trouble. So yeah. the, the people like you and I, right? So we have conversations with people all the time in our world because we all know each other. We start talking about export compliance there's a hush over the crowd in the room, you know, what happened? Tell me what do you help with? Yeah. And import compliance where everyone's got 50 different ways to solve it. Now make a phone call. Don't And I want to, I don't want to be cavalier about it, but when it comes to the kind of things you're talking about doing, you have a, you have a slip up. And like you said, people are in orange jumpsuits making pineapple ashtrays, pineapple, no, pinecone ashtrays at the federal penitentiary. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a matter of calculated risks. And I think on the import side, it is at some level, it's a matter of calculated risks at at, at some degree, but on the export side, those risks that are, that are real are are way too heavy to take on. And, and so it's, it's not, it's not really apples to apples when I think you look at both sides of that equation. If there was a, there's a lot of young people, it's a shocking number. So we have about 5,000 subscribers and 7,000 people listen to this. And probably half of those will be under the age of 25. And they're trying to, first of all, trying to move out of their parents' basement. And second of all, they're, they're trying one. to, uh, step one, step one, step one, baby steps, kids. Uh, step two, they're, they're trying to um, establish themselves as trade professionals. So what I, I like to say to folks is um, specialize, you know, definitely know your crap and uh, throw yourselves at the problem. If you had to give th- this, this pile of, of uh, misguided idiots who want to get into our business some advice on export compliance and becoming an export compliance professional, what are some of the things that come to mind? Oh, man, those poor, poor souls have no idea what's no, they what's don't. for them. Uh, but if I had to give some advice, um, and I think some of this is probably going to be relevant to most career fields, but um, particularly in trade, there are a lot of different directions you can go. As you mentioned, you can specialize. You can you can focus on imports. You can go out and get your broker's license. Um, God bless you. Uh, <laughs> you can you can really try to hone in on a on a number of different areas. I, my recommendation is early on, do it all. Don't say no to anything. Really gather up as much experience as you possibly can. Work every product, work every angle, work every element of the business that you possibly can so that you can figure out, um, one, what you're good at, and two, what you're passionate about. And I think that those always have to be interconnected. Um, I've told my own team and I I tell um, people that I work with, uh, I'm not going to be good at something if I'm not passionate about it, if I can't have any passion for it, I'm going to, I'm going to be terrible. So figure out what it is. I mean, you're going to have jobs that you don't like. You're going to have 
projects that you don't like, but get through them, you know, and do the best that you possibly can build relationships along the way and find those, those elements of that field or a different field that you're really passionate about. Um, and I think that's where you're going to excel. If people can see the excitement that you have for something as boring as trade compliance or, you know, import brokerage, whatever. Bite, it might your, be. Tongue. Bite your tongue. It's exciting stuff. <laughs> the, but I think if you can find that passion for something like that, people will listen to you and people will, will hear what you have to say and they'll be able to understand what you're explaining to them much better than if you just are rotely going through your day checking boxes and you know reciting black and white regulations or the hts there are those nerds now now you um you're a broker right i'm not you're not uh no loser uh but there are there are um professional designations for export compliance, right? Aren't there things people can study? There are. There are a number of programs and schools that, that uh, surprisingly, an increasing, I shouldn't say surprisingly, an increasing number of educational programs that are, uh, that are growing in both the export and the import functions, but especially on the trade compliance side, because before, you know, say the last five to eight years, really, it was something that was was OJT. <laughs> it wasn't something that you could go to college for. I know that, you know, in neither of my, my undergraduate or my graduate degree programs, there wasn't a program that really touched on trade compliance um, or really, you know, barely touched on, on duties and taxes and import um, related topics either. So now there, there are many, many um, educational programs and certainly executive level programs that you can, you can get into um, after starting your career to enhance your, your portfolio and your resume for sure. When you, when you go to a party, cause I know you're a social butterfly and it's not amongst our people, not amongst our tribe. And they say, so what do you do for a living? Hmm. What, what do you answer with? I think that's easy. That's an easier question now than it, than it was when I did strictly trade compliance. I think now I can say I sell, I sell ISR aircraft um, and ISR related solutions for international governments and militaries. Um, if you ask my kids, I think my son thinks that I am an aircraft mechanic. Nice. Uh, which is a real bad idea. I don't think anybody wants me trying to fix airplanes. Um, and my daughter thinks I talk for a living. Well, she sees you do. me on the phone and she sees me typing, so she thinks I talk for a living, which is which is pretty true. Um, but at parties, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's certainly easier now in the past. You would definitely get the, I'm going to, I'm going to walk away. Um, kind of look when you said you do international trade compliance, um, people, people don't really, don't really know what that means. Well, my problem always when I tell people what I, you know, that I'm, I, I'm a trade nerd and I do trade compliance is all the concussions I get from all the women throwing their hotel room keys and their underwear at me. Just it's, you know, they're so blown away. People are just, this has got to be the most unsexy, <laughs> the most un, just nobody, nobody's like, you know, I, I want to grow up and I want to be a trade professional. There's nothing at all about what we do that you would, you would market a soft drink from, you know? No, we're not, I mean, we're not marketing any soft drinks, but I think it's a sexy field to be in. I think you're <laughs> drunk. You got to stop drinking. Are. You got to stop drinking at lunch, Abby. There's nothing sexy about what we do. We we tell people no all day long. We fight about regulations. You and I and like three other people could get in a room and we could absolutely beat each other up verbally on disagreeing about the most minute detail about something that's not going to matter, but we're going to make it matter. Damn it! That's true. That's true. People in logistics are at least moving crap around the world. We're just arguing about rules, right? At times, yeah, we are just arguing about rules. But I think I don't look at it that way, and I don't think you really look at it that way either. And I, I think there's an argument to be made for the for the however many people that are listening, um, because they evidently care about this stuff as well. That um, I'll ba- I'll back up for a second. So I think what we do realistically is is at its most basic level, problem solving. 
people want to sell stuff beyond our borders because they want to make money. They want to make a lot of money and there are limited markets within the U.S. So they want to sell stuff internationally or they want cheaper things. So they want to bring things in from other countries. Well, that's hard. That's hard to do. There's some complications there. So they, so they need to bring in somebody to help make that process easier. And so many career fields are, are really about that. They're really about taking problems and, and untangling these big carry messes. Well, I think those of us in, in trade and international business in general, we had that mentality of loving to fix things and loving to untangle those puzzles and big messes, but that wasn't enough for us. We wanted to ratchet it up a level and say, I'm not just going to solve these problems on a domestic scale in English with American culture. I'm going to take it to some to some other country where they don't speak my language. They're in a different time zone. I have to cross you know borders through customs to to get to their location. I have to have a translator to talk to them. We want to to ratchet up the game a little bit. Um, it, you know, it's not it's not Super Mario Brothers to us. We want to take it to a very international scale, and it makes that problem more complex. But I think it also makes those solutions even even more gratifying okay so uh two questions then worst mess you ever had to clean up you can talk about that you can talk about there's a lot of what we do we can't talk about and two i want you to admit that those glasses aren't real that that's just they're just like glass they're glass lenses and they're, they're actually yeah, they're, the thing. they are real they're that's they're such a lie Necessary, necessary. You're just trying to look smart. That's all it is. You're just trying a necessary to necessary vision correction. Here. No, the hair, the dark hair is it was an attempt to look smarter than I am. Not Are the glasses. Intimate that that people think that a blonde woman would not be as smart because you're pretty damn smart. I don't think anybody would would make that distinction. Now nah, it was it was just time for a change. Twenty years of blonde was just time for a change. But I also I I think I'm taken more seriously. Maybe not more intelligent, but. I think I'm taking more seriously as a brunette. Whatever. <laughs> Walk in with a baseball bat. Again, you're the lady who said no all the time. No one's not taking you seriously. So biggest mess okay. you've had to clean up you can talk about. Biggest mess I've had. I mean, there's something I can't talk about. But the, I guess one of the most interesting ones that I had to clean up that threw me for the biggest loop. And this was, this was a number of years into my career when I thought I couldn't be surprised anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely one that always comes to mind and some of my trade geek friends have probably heard this one. Uh, but I'm sitting in my office and of course these things always come up at like four o'clock Friday afternoon as they, as they tend to do. Uh, and I get a phone call and it's from one of our, our um, supplier program managers who's, who's like kind of off, off her rocker anyway. Right. She's a little, she's a little excitable. And uh, so she, calls me and I'm like, all right, I'll take one more call before I, before I go home today. And I answer the phone and all she says on the other end of the line is radioactive penguins. (laughs) I love this story. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, and I'm like, man, I, I Is that a band name? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was her garage band name. Yeah. I, I her call sign. I don't know. I didn't know what she was talking about, but I was like, "What? What? What?" And she goes, "Yeah, let it sink in for a second. <laughs> That's actually all I need to tell you." Wow. And I sat there for a second, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> I said some ba- some bad words for sure." Uh, but it was actually happening, and uh, so I had I had so many questions, and and I said, you know, first tell me what the emergency is. Cause I know this is an emergency on some levels, some kind of radioactive penguins are, tr- are transiting someplace. Cause that's what I did in port export problems was the name of the game. And uh, she said, yeah, they're, they're being imported and they're on a, on a vessel coming in and they're, they're about to shut down the port. <laughs> wow. Just blown away. I'm like, okay, so so why are we shutting down the port? How did these penguins get radioactive? What <laughs> what's going on? I mean, it was a terrible mess. Um, and at the at the end of the day, uh, what was going on was there there were dead radioactive penguins that um, had been collected post mortem. Uh, they were penguins that were being trapped, and 
environmental researchers and scientists track them with radioisotope tags. And so they at some level become radioactive. Uh, and we were importing them post-mortem, frozen, um, to do research on them <laughs> uh, back at a U.S. university. And so they had to be imported. And so there was a bit of a fire drill. It was a contract that our company had just taken over. And so nobody was really straight on who had initiated the export from a foreign location of these radioactive penguins and why they were coming in and exactly to whom they were coming in. But they, they were coming and they were like 100 miles out, ready to, ready to shut down the port. So we dug in and we, we determined that we had a lot of... Um, exemptions available to us. Uh, to, on one side of the house, we had nuclear regulatory commission issues to deal with. We had issues to deal with. We had plant wildlife. We had fish and wildlife. We had all of, all of the things. Um, everybody was, was on, on phone calls and uh, getting the clearances to bring these things in. Needless to say, these poor, these poor radioactive penguins were brought in and the research continued. Um, but Abby saves the day. It was an exciting 24 hours. I can't say I saved the day. There was certainly a team, a team effort to, to make that happen. But did you have to um, keep bringing them in over and over again? Or was it a one-time thing? Oh no, we brought them in over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was the first instance on our particular contract, but, um, not the last, not the last. That just sounds awful. Those poor, those poor penguins. But yeah. Nuclear penguins. I love it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I, I want to go over a couple of interesting things that are going on in the news. All right. Uh, so we can start with this one. Did you see my last LinkedIn post? Yes. 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 Wakanda. 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 Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever. Yes. So that so makes me so happy. And please tell me it was intentional. Uh, so here, here's what happened. You got to tell the story. I will tell a story. So um, there is a listing of countries that the United States has a free trade agreement with that commerce puts out and it is an electronic list and it's kind of, uh, it's kind of important. It's kind of important because a lot of software feeds off of it. People make really big decisions about, I mean, we're in the middle of a trade war. So lots of folks want to know who we have a free trade agreement with. And uh, there was a graduate student who was doing some data analytics, it came across the fact that on the list of countries that the United States currently has a free trade agreement with was the fictional country Wakanda from the Marvel Avengers universe that Black Panther is from, that T'Challa is the leader of. And this is how much of a nerd I am. I can keep going about what is Wakanda is about. And so this, this comes out today. And I was... My friend Jason O'Brien, I don't know if you know Jason, he's, um, he's with KPMG now. He used to be with Amber Road. He's just, he's just awesome. He's awesome. <laughs> he puts his post up, and I thought it was like an Onion article. I thought, it was, I thought it was someone just playing around, but this is so specific that it has to be true. And you start looking at it, it's true. So he, I guess what happened is the, um, the folks that put together the software system and were, were teaching each other how to use it, they used Wakanda as a joke placeholder template. Nobody caught it. Right. And so currently, Wakanda, the, the ghost African nation of Wakanda, is, is, is a free trade country. So they're, and, and as ready, of our. I'm ready to sell them some airplanes. I you mean, should. I bet they'd buy them from you. As of, right, as of right before we came on here, they were still on the listing. So they haven't taken them off yet. So there's this laughing stock that's happening about Wakanda, kind of forever, everywhere. And no one has gotten this thing taken off yet. I love it so much. And I can only hope in my heart of, of sarcastic hearts that whoever put it there knew exactly what they were doing and did it intentionally. Uh, I think it's great. I hope it stays. I, I hope it stays for a while so that we I keep getting screenshots of it. And... <laughs> Uh, it's just so, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. All of these things, heaven forbid that we don't publish something right or make a mistake. And the government comes down on us like the, like the hand of the gods, but here, uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, yeah. They screw, they screw this up 
You're like, oh, no, 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 no. This is the most powerful country in the world, the largest commercial consumer in the world. And we put a fake country in there. I, I can't get enough of it. I think it's no, I think I think it's great. One of one of my favorite countries to use in training exercises and things like that is, is Zamunda. Zamunda. About half the group gets it and about half the group doesn't. And most of the millennials out there are not gonna know about Zamunda. But you know what Zamunda is. Hell yeah. Can we do America? Yeah. <laughs> Oh heck yeah, yeah! This country and coming to America, yeah. They're making a they're making a a, a sequel. Oh man, I had not heard that. I had not heard that. Yeah. So uh, my my daughter this weekend we were we were in Dallas and um, my daughter loves stand up comedy. She particularly likes Jim Gaffigan and such. So I'm always trying to introduce her to new comedy which right. is hard because I am filthy. So yeah. everything I listen to, every friend I've ever had that's worked in comedy, they don't say the kind of things that a 13-year-old who's relatively sheltered should be listening to. Right. But I decided to play my daughter the Ice Cream Man sketch by Eddie Murphy on Saturday. <laughs> and uh, so she didn't know what to expect, you know? And, and he, he leads into that sketch saying, anybody else here hot? Because I could really use an ice cream if the Ice Cream Man comes around. And she's like, hmm. And she's, she's drinking a milkshake while this is going on. And the first time he screams, I scream really loud. She had a, a legitimate spit take where we're in this rental and like chocolate milkshake just goes bah! everywhere like a Jackson Pollock. And she was holding her face just like. That's so and, great. That's oh so my God. It was so awesome. So, um, <laughs> and you get to introduce word. these things to her. That's the beauty oh, of it. Yeah. Well, the, the, the first comedy concert I ever took my daughter to was Jim Gaffigan in Manchester. And she was. She was so happy. And we're at the Verizon Center here in town, which isn't very big. And she said, Daddy, did you ever do comedy to a crowd this big? And I said, no, no, never, not once. I said, but I do talk at, I talk at things that have this many people in it. And she said, well, that's not nearly as cool. And yeah. that's when you realize you're, it doesn't matter how many big speeches I can give, it doesn't matter how many airplanes and spying systems that you sell, our kids are never going to think we're cool. Ever. That's probably true. I mean, my kids are still really little, and occasionally they they think that I'm I'm pretty cool right now. But I can see it fading quickly. I mean, my my four year old proposed marriage to me this weekend, and I had to break oh. his little heart. Um, but Did yeah, at that age, they're a little. They still kind of believe that I'm cool, but it's 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 evaporating. Did he buy a ring? Did he ask your dad first? Did he go through all the necessary? Oh no, no, he did get on his knee though. And I and I said, Lucian, why why do you want to marry me? And he goes, So I can kiss you anytime I want. Wow. I feel like he's setting the stage. I think he's just setting the stage like for I'm I mean, I'm done. I'm my I'm a, it's over. Whatever this kid wants. Christmas yeah. is coming up. He can have anything. He's anything he's he wants now. Well done. I never had anything cool like that to say to my mother. I was usually too busy fending off the punches from my parents for whatever dumb thing I'd recently done. I believe it. Well behaved. They, they're, they're sweet kids. They don't do stupid things. Oh, they do funny things, but yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing too terrible just yet. Okay. Well, we've only had one major stitching event uh, with the ER involved. So pretty okay. solid track record. So I'm noticing that you have a telescope in the background. Oh is yeah, this, yeah. Is this, your, is this your attempt to try to? And it's pointed at a wall, by the way. It is pointed at a wall. I mean, it's put away right now. We're not stargazing. Okay, so you you want me to believe that you pack up the kids and you go to some nice pasture and you you stare up at the Milky Way? No, this is Colorado. We just go in the backyard. Let's just go to a dispensary it. and take some mushrooms. You can stare at the Milky Way. <laughs> No, this is mostly my mostly my nerdy uh, aerospace engineer husband who has all of all of the gadgets for space lurking and you name it. I love that. So apparently, there's a place in Colorado you can go where you can legitimately see the Milky Way. It's so dark. Yeah, I've not been there. I've heard that there are some places that are high enough up and away from the cities that you can you can see the stars amazingly well. I've got to do that because I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of sitting there and realizing just how much the universe doesn't care about me and how insignificant <laughs> I am. And, Contemplating you know, life. Yeah. Like Rogan says, you know, we're just, we're, we're, um, we're talking apes on a floating rock in the middle of infinity. It, it, it definitely, man, 
True. It hits True. home. Yeah. Okay. So um, I know you're, you're short on time. So I want to get a couple other things before because you couldn't make enough time for me. Uh, the time zones were challenging. We don't know how to play that game apparently. Sure. Yeah. It was kind of a problem. <laughs> well, it's the week before Christmas and everybody's super busy. True. So, um, all right. So uh, if, if you had to, um, if you had to talk to somebody who was in import compliance about switching over to export compliance, what are some things that they should probably consider doing? Would you have them start on things like classifications and ECCNs, get them involved in licensing? What do you think would be the most valuable skill for them to obtain and master quickly? Uh, I think two things. I think one's reading, reading the news on export control form and what's happening now so that they can get their, their heads around what changes have occurred through the process of export control reform and what's forthcoming, where we stand, you know, depending on what, what industry they're in or if they have a particular industry yet, um, talking to their companies about what the impacts are of the changes to the regulations to their products and maybe um, getting to know those changes before they happen, knowing what those looming deadlines are, I think can really, really help them um, kind of put, set themselves um, up for success in, on the export side if they're looking to do more exporting, um, to be very, very present and in the know on what's going on. I think as far as getting a basic level of understanding of exports from the import side, it's relatively easy. I mean, regs are regs, rules are rules. Uh, they're, they're written differently. They're structured differently within the ITAR and within the Export Administration regulations. But um, start start reading. Uh, there's there's a deliberate framework to both of them. They both frustrate the hell out of a lot of people. But there's a deliberate framework there. Don't expect them to be the same deliberate framework. Read them differently. It's like you, you've got your your romance novels, and then you've got your your historical fiction. They're they're totally different kinds of documents, despite the fact that there some things are aligning. Don't expect them to be the same thing, but start reading and start talking to export professionals about what they do on a day to day and, and what's important to them. Um, if you work in a company where you're doing imports, you very likely have someone working exports as well. Uh, the easiest way to get into exports in that regard is to just ask if you can help. <laughs> I can assure you that they will always say yes. You can always help out with, with something and that will, you know, allow them to, to get a, a little bit of something, you know, started um, on the export side. Was that a dog that just barked? It was my huge dog. I have a giant uh, Bernie's Mountain dog and I think he just suspected the Amazon Prime guy. So Okay. He gave him a little. Now, every, every podcast, there are three questions I ask people who attend. And I actually think I know some of the answers for, for your three questions. I'm going to add a fourth at the end. Okay. Oh. All right. So, uh, well, it has a lot to do with our friendship. So question number one, uh, first car you ever had, what was it? How'd you get it? What happened to it? Ooh, okay. Um, first car I ever had. It's kind of a jaded story because I only had it for a hot second. Um, was a Nissan. Was it a craps game? No, it wasn't. It wasn't a craps game. It was a hand me down from my from my big brother. Uh, my big brother had a hand me down car, and it was a a Nissan Datsun combo deal. It was like the era that they became one or switched over. Anyway, it was a it was an old um, Nissan Datsun Sentra kind of, kind of thing. And my super cool older brother was really into Metallica and Megadeth and to his credit, I enjoyed them as well. Um, but he had blacked out all of the windows and he had removed everything from the trunk and put like giant subwoofers in the trunk. And I had this big sticker on the back that said no fear on it. Wow. So was, cool. This was 16-year-old Abby's um, car that she was about to inherit. And it was also a stick shift. Uh, and so I ponied up and I was ready to accept this beast. Um, <laughs> and uh, took it for a couple spins, 
me navigating the manual transmission was not the best idea. And I, I, I not only had no sense of direction, but I wasn't the most coordinated kid. If you can believe that. Um, and I think my, my father saw me pull into the driveway with my blacked out windows and my no fear stickers, subwoofers blasting. And he was like, not happening. That's not happening. That's not happening. So it lasted like 48 hours and I, I hissy fitted my way to a, to a better model. What did you end up driving? I ended up driving a Dodge Avenger. Uh, I don't remember those. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't bad. I was I was pretty happy with that one. It was it was quite a step up from yeah. from the Datsun. Well, daughters get whatever they want. So this is true. This is true. You were an athlete in high school, weren't you? I was. Yeah, I was a swimmer mostly. Ran track, volleyball. Yeah. Yeah, judo, MMA. Cage fighting. I was pretty small, so had a. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Flyweight division. Okay, question number two. Yes. First job that you ever had. What was it, and what did, what did they pay you? Like, and I'm talking, it, like you had to get a check for your work. It wasn't just I was a babysitter, or I, you know, I picked apples when the season was right. I'm talking like you yeah. got a check and a W two. First job you ever had, and what'd you get paid? Right. Uh, first job I ever had. That I had an actual check was lifeguarding and teaching swimming lessons. Yeah. I Pretty get that sweet a lot. Day, hang out, yeah. get a tan all day. Work on your tan. Hopefully nobody dies. Yellow little kids. Don't yeah. let anybody die. It's pretty, yeah. pretty laid back. That's awesome. Uh, did any die on your watch? Do you have any? Nobody have- died on my watch. Nobody died. We had some fakers. Yeah. You know, Sandlot style kids that would. Uh, Wendy Pep. Is it peppercorn? Wendy peppercorn. Yeah. Yeah. But you could always, I always waited them out. You could tell like if you saw them swimming before they're, they're not drowning. Give them a good 30, 45 seconds to figure it out. Work for it. Yeah. I think that's great. All right. And what'd you get paid? Do you remember? Oh man. My first, uh, like four seventy five an hour, maybe it was, it was not much. The struggle was real. The struggle was real. All right. So, uh, question number three, I, I am your fairy godmother. So we can, we can, that this is true already. All right. Bibbity bobbity boo. Right now, imagine I have a magic wand, not unlike my Sharpie and I can wave the magic wand at any job you've ever wanted. So I can be out of the industry. Talent has nothing to do with you. If you could be doing anything right now, aside from the, the silly, ridiculous job you have now, what would that job be? Man, anything, anything. Dream job. Uh, that's tough. I like my job. I, I do. I enjoy my job. But I, I think I'd have to do something that didn't require working so hard. But I do have to say, that if you're my fairy godmother, that's going to definitely give, give me nightmares. I don't know that I want to wake up to that. Just. That's a great in a dress with some wings. And <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. Like the, like the Red Bull guys. No. Yeah. yeah dream job. When you're a little girl, there was dream something job. you wanted to be. I would, I would say what I wanted to be when I was a little girl, totally different than what I want to be as a big girl. Um, when I was a little girl, I think I wanted to join the Peace Corps. Uh, and that sounded glorious. I... I prefer like Marriott style of living to that these days. I don't, I, I don't really want to get that, get that dirty, but I, but maybe like yoga instructor on some Island in Bali sounds, sounds pretty great. You could do that. Everybody's just taking a deep breath and just let all that tension out. That's all just, uh, yeah, that's no, no good at all. All right. Not so question you get because we like the same music so much. All right. So you and I are going to go do a drive-by. Um, like trade nerd style. What did a trade nerd drive by? I don't know what that would look like. Uh, so we're gonna I imagine nerd. it's you and me on a Friday night. Oh, yeah. With friends. Oh That's man. Yeah. I'm I'm driving too. So you're gonna have to throw the ITAR at them. Actually, no. We'd we'd hit him with a with an old school metal tariff. That's what we would hit him with. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we're doing a drive by. The, the big book. Yes. Uh huh. Yep. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take a sucker out. You got to pick three songs for the playlist on the way over there. Uh, three old school 80s, 90s, thousands hip hop R&B songs that we listen to on the way to commit uh, a felony. Wow. Oh, man. I'll tell you mine when, you t- when you're done. 
I, I think I'm going to go in reverse. Okay. I think I got to go in reverse because I got to finish with Ice Cube. Um, it was a good day. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. We got to roll out in that end of the end of the night with the spinners and the. Yeah. That's yeah. what we're going to end with. Don't, don't uh, think that the irony that the two of the whitest people anyone's ever seen are having this conversation right now. Right, <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> regulations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, someone's wife and mom with two little kids is talking about songs where you're going to murder somebody too. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah, what's, yeah. Uh, there's right. your first what's song. What's next? What's, yep. next? what's the next um, song? <laughs> I'm a girl, I'm from St. Louis. So I have to throw Nelly. some Nelly. I gotta yeah. throw some Nelly in there. Probably country grammar. Uh-huh. Um, we could kick it off with that. Um, it, it's. I feel like it's symbolic. We have to. You have to have calculated, calculated songs. Um, I'd be remiss to not say Snoop Dogg, but I'm not going to say Snoop Dogg because I'm a feminist and I'm not going to leave my ladies out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. Not that that's a token vote, because it's not a token vote. No, no. I'm going to go Salt and Pepper. I would have said Missy Elliott if I was going to go around that. Salt and Pepper's good. Elliot, love Missy Elliott, but I don't think that it would go with the vibe of Ice Cube and Nelly. I don't think it would fit in the middle, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Salt and Pepper. Okay, all right. Uh, so if I had to pick three, we would probably um, we'd start with, with uh, Tupac, I Get Around. That would be the first song because that gets you a little excited. This, these don't sound like murder songs, do they? Um, probably, <laughs> we're murdering people with the law. Yeah, so. it's true. We're nerds. Okay. This is nerds we're, murdering. we're murdering. Yeah, we're murdering the regulations. Uh, the second song would probably be, um, I can't even say the title of the song, but it's a DMX song. I'm sure you can imagine which one it is. Uh, and, and then... Um, after we've killed everybody and after we've laid waste on uh, in, in nerd murder, I think I would probably um, do uh, Snoop Dogg's Drop It Like It's Hot at the end of it. That would be the three Solid. in the playlist as Solid. we're passing the 40 back and forth, trying to get our story straight before the cops pull us over. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Yes. That's um, that's precisely how I would do it. Well, uh, thank I you for making to... me feel cool for a hot second. Well, we are we are pretty cool for a couple of nerds. But I, I hate new hip hop. I can't stand it. So I, for me, it's like music. I say this to my buddy Hector all the time. Music died to me in like 2006. I don't want to hear any more hip hop after that. I'm just, I'm done. And if, if it's not, if Biggie and Tupac wouldn't have liked it, I'm not going to like it either. And I have some real serious yeah. Kanye problems. Anyway, I know you have another call to get on and that you can't spend more time talking to me, but uh, thank you so much for joining us. You, um, you are you are my, my favorite little nerd to hang out with. And uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to see you in the new year and you can tell me how exciting this job is or isn't. I guess. Thank you so much, Pete. Always, always a pleasure. Always a good time. Call me, call me anytime. Oh, please. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and uh, everyone, thank you for joining us again. As always, we are brought to you by the good people at the World Trade Centers and our friends at Cap Logistics. You can learn more about Cap Logistics at caplogistics.com. And if you need help um, trying to get yourself, much like uh, Abby was talking about in the beginning, in the beginnings of your trade nerd journey, the World Trade Centers are an excellent resource. You can learn more about them on the websites that are posted with the information about these uh, these podcasts. Abby, thank you again. I'm sure we'll have you on again and we'll probably have more inappropriate conversations about hip hop. Thank you, Pete. Thanks everyone. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.